Welcome to Garfield Memorial Church. We are one church in three locations, Pepper Pike, Ohio, South Euclid, Ohio, and Liberia, Africa. Together, we seek to widen the circle through our core values of diversity, safety, authenticity, growth, and forgiveness. To learn more about Garfield Memorial Church, visit our website at garfieldchurch.org. And now, may you be blessed and inspired by our weekly podcast of the message from the 10 a.m. Sunday morning Mosaic worship service. Garfield Memorial Church, widening the circle. All right, well, I didn't officially say it, so Happy New Year. We're in 2020, can you believe it? I want to greet all of you who are worshiping with us online. I want to greet South Euclid campus. We're all worshiping together today just to kick off the new year. And it's so good uh, for for us to be together. So welcome. Uh, We'll spend the next 30 minutes together preparing ourselves for what God has in store for us in a brand new year. Um, Because God is the one who gave us the new year. Rich with new possibilities and new hopes and new dreams and new challenges. And this year at Garfield Memorial Church... I'm saying to South Euclid, all of you online, to all of us here today, I talked to our leaders back in the fall, and I said, 2020 for Garfield Memorial Church is going to be a year of vision. Now, some of you go, okay, Chip, you're trying to be cute, 2020 vision. Yeah, well, kind of. Um, I'm nearsighted. In case you don't know that, I'm very nearsighted. Um, I wear extended wear contacts. I never did the LASIK dig. Um, And when I first went to get my eyes checked, I was so nearsighted as a child, the doctor told me I had 220 over, 220 over 20 vision. It's like, what is 220 over 20 vision? He said, well, Chip, I think I was like nine years old. He said, well, if there's a fence 100 yards away and you have a friend with 20-20 vision, they're going to say, do you see that bird on the fence with all the beautiful colors? And you're going to say, what fence? Um, so so for me, if you get my prescriptions changed every year, I have to go in for an annual vision check. And, and that's what I think all of us need to do in our own personal walk with Christ. There needs to be times that we get our vision checked. See, in the Bible, and churches especially, and we have as well, in the Bible, vision was never about physical sight. There were words for that, physical sight. Vision was about seeing the supernatural. Vision was about seeing the possible. In fact, vision was seeing what we call kairos. In, in, in the Greek, they had two words for time. They had the word chronos, it's where we get chronological. That was that it's, uh, I don't know how many time, much, what time it is this morning. I just know I've got uh, 28 minutes, 27.59 on my clock, right? That's chronos. But kairos was potential time. It was time rich with the presence of God. It was, it, was, it was time that was pregnant with possibilities for building the kingdom and bringing it a little closer. And so sight goes for chronos time, but vision goes for kairos time. And we need to have our vision checked. Our church has been through so much the last uh, 15 and, and a half years. Uh, in 2004, if you would have come to this church, you would have found a very different place. We were in the midst of major decline. Most churches in America are. We know the story. We had about 360 active members. We had an average of 200 adults and 210 that showed up every Sunday. We had 15 children on average in what we used to call Sunday school back then. Um, Of the 360 folk that came here, 97.9%, we did the math, looked up our membership back then, 97.9% of them were white. 
It's true, I'm white. If you don't know what a white person looks like, it was like me. Um, my wife and I try to make sure you see the whole spectrum, right? Uh, but 97%, 9%, we had less, we had just over 2% of our membership were people of color. Um, and we were all pretty much in the same kind of generational realm. And now, Bobby Kennedy one time gave a great statement on vision. He said, you see things the way they are and you ask why. He said, I dream of things the way they might be and ask why not. So back then we checked our vision and we said, why not? Why not be a church that just isn't saying we're just going to go the way of decline and, and we'll look like, you know, the, the church in America still, if you don't know this, the church in America is the last most segregated institution in America. Figure that one out. What if we didn't do that? What if we had a church that looked more like heaven? What if we, when we pray that kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, we actually mean it? And what if we don't think about ourselves like a club and keep patting each other on the back, but we look out into the world and say, how can we be a blessing to Cleveland? And how can we bring joy to the city? And how can we help people, the 80% of Cleveland, who think Christians are judgmental and hateful and all these things, find out that, no, we're there to serve, and we're there to receive, and we're there to love, and we're there to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And who would have known that 650 adults would be baptized into the faith of Jesus Christ in the last eight years because we had a vision, and today there's not 360 members. There's 1,200 active members. We don't have 200 adults in worship. We have close to 600 adults in worship. We don't have 15 kids in children's ministry. On some Sundays, we have 150 kids in children's ministry, and we're not 97.9% white anymore. We don't have any one ethnic group that makes up more than 52% of the congregation because people believe there is a vision. There's a vision. Oh, and that's good news. I know it's good news, but I, I got to warn us. I talked to some of our leaders in December. Um, there was Starbucks was this phenomena, you know, this phenomena of Starbucks. And in 2007, their founder, Howard Schultz, said he had gone to be a, a chairman of the board and hired a friend to be a CEO. And he sent out a famous manual because he realized Starbucks has, tra- has tra- drifted away from their vision. And he had to re-engage himself as CEO and put them back on track and bring them back to the enterprise that they are today. And Howard Schultz said that he learned something, that you can never put vision on autopilot. And he said, to have a healthy vision, it takes constant care and attention. So I told our leaders, 2020, we've done this several times along the way, we pause to take a look at vision. So I want you to, with us, collectively, we're going to look at, that's where, will you be one of the 200 different ways that we can up the ante on what it means to be a part of Christ's church and personally look at your own personal discipleship with vision and say, you know, what is God's vision for my life right now? You know, I even said that to our heritage service. I said, not way back when. I know it's offensive. You've been a Christian for 50 years. What do you mean, what's my vision? You know, when Abraham and Sarah went to the retirement home, I don't think they ever dreamed God would have called them to plant churches. God has a vision for your life. What's God's vision for your life, for your purpose, for your marriage, for your friendships? I want us to be exploring that together in 2020, okay? Because... Habakkuk says something really great. Habakkuk was a prophet during a very difficult time of Israel's history. And it said that Habakkuk, what he did during that time was he went up and he prayed. He went to the high high tower, it says in that scripture, up to the watch post. He stationed himself. He said, I'll keep watch and see what God will say to me. Then the Lord answered to me and said this, what? There is still a vision for the appointed time. If it seems to tarry, wait for it. It will surely come.
So we're, we're, we're looking at vision, and to look at vision today, I want to start this new year off, South Euclid, all of us online, and ask ourselves this question. Are we a fan of Jesus Christ, or are we a follower of Jesus Christ? Are we a fan or a follower? Because when we talk about going deeper, what we're talking about is discipleship. You know, the world has hijacked a lot of our great terms in the church, which is fine, not mad. But, you know, everybody has a mission statement now. How many of you know that the first person to ever use that word mission was Jesus? And it was part of his movement when he said, as the Father sends me, so I'm sending you. The word sent was the word missio in Latin, which is where we get the word mission. So everybody's a mission now, but there was a time that was a possession of the local church. Uh, how many people have heard in having a come to Jesus moment, right? Or, or in a business, this company has had a resurrection, Right? They use a lot of our terms, which is okay, but nobody uses that term discipleship. That one's still a possession of the church. Because Jesus, to, to be a disciple, we got to dig into it. I want to hit that today for the next 20 or 25 minutes. To be a disciple is something uniquely that Jesus calls us to be. To not be a fan, to be a follower, to become a disciple. And the word disciple comes from a word called discipline. See, when I say that word, everybody right now has just gotten a little tight. Like, oh, what's coming next? What's he going to drop? You know, because we think of discipline as punitive, don't we? You discipline your child, right? Is it corporeal punishment? Is it yuppie timeouts? Whatever it is. I don't know. You know, is this right? How do we do it, right? You know, and I'm not, I'm not making fun of either. It's just we, just we think that way or I'm getting disciplined on my job. That has really nothing to do with what the word discipline means, that's something consequential of it, maybe way down sometime if this happens or that over the line, maybe. But the, the best definition I ever heard of discipline is this. To subjugate, okay, I know that's a bad preacher word. What does subjugate mean? It means to relegate, to make on the sub, to take something that's the main floor in my life and put it down here, set it aside, move it to the closet. To subjugate or relegate present desires for the sake of future higher and nobler goods and causes. Discipline means that I'm going to take my current present desires, we all have them, I have a desire for something, my earthly flesh, I wish I could have that, but I'm willing to, if called by God, or if needed to, because I understand the higher cause and purpose, I'm willing to subjugate that for something better. So if somebody personally attacks me, which I've had happen a lot, um, I, have a, I, have an, I have an option. I have a right to personally attack back, I mean, that's natural right, but maybe I subjugate that inclination because I am seeking to have a higher purpose to help build Christ's kingdom. And I don't want you to see me embarrassing you as your leader because I want us to model something better. That's discipline. And that's why when Timothy, Paul's understudy, was having a bad time and he was getting scared, Paul wrote from prison and said, God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of self-discipline. King James says sound mind. That literally, in the Greek, it means self-discipline. God gave us a power to be able to put, lay aside some of our preferences, personalities, and past experiences. Those are the three Ps that kill the church. We can subjugate those for a higher cost. And if you're going to be a disciple, it may, may mean to do that. Now, if you're a fan, you're not willing to do it. Especially if you're a Cleveland fan. Hello. Man, it's hard to subjugate, isn't it? We feel like we've been subjugated and relegated and, 
you know, all of you. But fan, it's fun. It's fickle. Here's the good news. I love sports, but sports isn't going to determine the end of the world, but this might. Okay. And, and the problem is I read a book uh, years ago by a young man um, named Kyle Eidelman. Kyle pastors a big church, I think in Kentucky, Bill, I'm not sure. But Kyle one day realized, he said he, he was getting ready for Easter Sunday, and he said he was going to have all these thousands of people show up on Easter Sunday. And all of a sudden he said, but I, I'm wondering, if, are they growing? Are they just coming out for the show? Like, I love our musicians, I love our bands, I love our choirs, I love our services. We take worship serious, but if you're just showing up for the little fix, right? Punch your ticket, get it in, get it done. And Kyle said, I wonder if I'm cultivating fans or I'm cultivating followers. And what he did was he had a a revelation around John chapter 6. I referred to the kids with the feeding of the 15,000, 20,000. We don't know how many it was. We call it feeding of the 5,000. Why? Some of you have been with me a long time because they did a census of the men. That's how they counted. So we don't know with women and children, families, 15,000, who knows? Really big miracle. That's why I know the gospel has to be true because nobody ever refuted it. You know, if that rumor got out there in the Mediterranean that this happened, don't you think there would have been articles written saying that didn't happen? I was there. Nobody did that. And this huge miracle, and people showed up, and they were hungry, and he fed them. And then it was an interesting story at John 6, 15. It says, knowing that this crowd of fans wanted to make Jesus a king, the word there is military messiah. In other words, they wanted to fashion a leader that they could be comfortable with and cut Jesus kind of down to their hopes and dreams and fit their agendas. It says he retreated to the mountains to pray. And then when it got dark and everybody was sitting around the campfires, bellies full, drinking lemonade, I don't know, clean that one up. Um, but the, Jesus and his disciples took off. Went in a boat, went to the other side of the water, other side of the Sea of Galilee. And the next morning when, when they woke up and they looked around, they were like, where's Jesus? Where'd he go? And by noon, their stomachs are growling. And now they're like, we got to go find him. And they began to chase him around the Sea of Galilee. They do. And they finally find him. And you know what they say to him? They said, Lord, we've been looking for you everywhere. We're hungry. And here's what he said. This is really interesting. He said, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me. But not because you saw the signs I performed. Not because you saw God at work. Not because you were like, oh my gosh, God is real and and now I want to be part of the movement. No, but because you ate and had your fill. And at that moment, read John 6. It's an amazing interchange. Jesus begins to talk to them about what this is really about. And he says to them, I am the bread of life. What is he saying? I'm shutting down the all-you-can-eat buffet and I'm the only thing now on the menu. You can have me or nothing at all. Yeah, 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 that's what's happened. And, and here's what happens. One of the saddest passages in the Bible, it's John 6, 66. I didn't know that before. I heard this verse. How many know 66 is not a good number? Right? And this is true. This is probably the tragedy of John's gospel, and it happens to be John 666 says this. It says, from that time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Why? They're fans. And Jesus said, I don't want you to admire me. I don't want you to like me. I don't want you to just believe in me. I want you to follow me. I want you to become my disciple, right? And so three things I want to say to you today. First, real quick, you have 15 minutes. I'll try to do five on each. One, Jesus calls us. 
He calls us to follow him, and he calls us to follow him on an amazing adventure. That's what it means to be a disciple. First, it means that Jesus has called us. See, let's go back to the story real quick. Well, yeah, let's go back to the story real quick that Pastor Steve and Pastor Kurt preached on last week. I listened to both of them. They're better preachers than me. Be patient with me. When John was standing there, I'm going to blow through this. Two of his disciples, um, he watched Jesus walk by and said, look, here's the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, what are you looking for? Isn't that a great question? What if Jesus walked in here today and just sat down by you and said, oh, you came to service today. What are you looking for? Oh, you went to small group. What are you looking for? Oh, you're going to be one of the 200. What are you looking for? Can you imagine Jesus saying that to you? And they said, Rabbi, meaning teacher, where are you staying? <laughs> kind of misdirect, right? And he said to them, come and see. They came and saw where you were staying, and they remained with him. You can push that back. So the point was, Jesus calls them. See, Andrew and this disciple, we don't know who the disciple was. Some say it was Peter. I don't believe it was Peter because Andrew went and got Peter later. I believe it was John. Because John, whenever he mentions himself in the gospel, he never names himself. He's like a little anonymous. So it's probably Andrew and John. But the point was, they had already heard about Jesus. Like John the Baptist has said twice, there he is, the Lamb of God. And they believed in Jesus. That's why they were there. But, this was a, they, but they'd just been kind of hanging around. This is the first time they'd been called by Jesus. And that's why the response is, where are you staying? How many of you know when we come to Christ or we come to God for the first time, we kind of just start hanging around Jesus? That's that's what we do. There's different reasons for that. You want to hear them? One does. Okay. Because you said yes, I'm going to tell them. Yeah. But there's there's reasons people want to hang around. Let me just blow through these. One, some people like to hang around Jesus because they like crowds. Crowds are fun. And Jesus creates crowds. And that's why we don't have Life Magazine anymore. We have People Magazine. Because it's all about personalities and things like that. And people like crowds. So some people hang around Jesus for that reason. Other people hang around Jesus because they want miracles. Like, I have a need. And maybe if I hang around him long enough, he'll fix my need. Or thirdly, some people like to hang around Jesus because they just like to be right. Just like politics. You know, when people are pontificating. Some people, they don't even, they're really not that passionate about what they're saying. They just want to be Right? And some people hang around Jesus for that reason. Because I want to say, I know about Jesus. I have some teaching. Now I can look down on other people and say, I'm right. I'm innocent. And some people just like that. And that's why they hang around Jesus, right? Or fourthly, hang around Jesus because you really feel guilty. You just need somebody to help our guilt. And guess what? That's okay. Because what these disciples said is, where are you staying, man? We just want to hang around. And Jesus always says, it's okay to come hang around. Always. He's so gentle with people. He just says, it's not okay to stay around, hanging around. I want you to come deeper. And that's why quickly he, it challenges us to follow him. He doesn't want fans. He wants followers. That's why in Luke 9, there's a guy who runs up to Jesus and says, Hey, Jesus, I believe in you. I want to follow you. And Jesus goes, Yeah, foxes, don't have, foxes have holes. Birds have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He basically saying, Do you know what you're about to get into? That's not real good recruiting, by the way, right? Because he doesn't want fans. He wants followers. He calls us, and he says this word in the middle of Mark's gospel, which I love. He says to the crowds, if he called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, watch, if any want to become my what? Followers. 
Let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Let them get rid of their personalities, get rid of their preferences and their past experiences, and come and follow me. This is where Jesus says, if you want to be my followers, he asks a DTR question. Anybody know what a DTR question is? Nobody? Come on, man. Nobody watched like, nobody went through like dating therapy or relationships. Seriously, I mean, DTR can affect on your job. It can affect on friendships. But it's really with dating and relationships. The DTR question is the define the relationship question. You ever had those? Back when I met my wife, seriously, I was running my own business. I wasn't into any relationships. I was living footloose and fancy free. It was all about me and mine and how much money I could make. So yeah, I'd date one in Pittsburgh and one in Chicago and this and that, but I didn't want anything serious. And anytime any woman came up to me and had the DTR relationship, I got out of their PDQ. <laughs> Google that one at home. Then I'll keep my job. I didn't say it. I spelled it. But I met my wife, and I fell in love, I love at first sight. It's true. I didn't know that could happen. I don't prescribe it. She didn't, by the way. I had to stalk her. But anyhow, I did. And I was smitten with this woman, right? And I started dating her, and everything was getting jumbled up in my life and my insides. And I'll never forget when I got the DTR. It happened true. We've been, we've been dating like two weeks. I'm really glad she's not sitting in here right now. But we haven't, I didn't clear this with her, by the way. Um, anybody have room today for the games? Okay. Um, but we had been dating for like two weeks, and she came up. She lived in Canton. I lived in Youngstown. And she came up after work, and she came up to the house, and, and she got off. And I said, we didn't feel like going to a club or going to a movie. And I said, hey, you've really been working hard. Why don't you just chill out on the couch? I'll go get some uh, Chinese food, and we'll just stay home and watch movies. Now, when you guys stay home and watch movies, you'd like stream, right? See, I'm old. Back then, to stay home and watch movies, we had to go to a place called Blockbuster. True. Millennials are going B-L-O-C-K. Yeah. There was this place called Blockbusters, and we had to go rent shoeboxes. Like, like these big things. And come them home and force them into these giant machines, right? And you guys are going like, oh, where's Netflix? We didn't have it. So I went to rent my shoeboxes, and I got some chicken fried rice and egg rolls and went to Chinese food. And my wife, when you walk into my house, there's a kitchen. Then there was a little sitting area. There was a telephone with an answering machine. You have to Google that one, too. And then there was this little, like, chair where I'd read a book or the paper. You have to Google that one, too. And then after that, you go into the family room where the couch was and the TV. When I left the house, she was on the couch watching a TV. When I came home, the TV was off. I walked through the kitchen, and she's sitting rocking in the rocking chair looking at me. And I said to her, honey, what's wrong? She said, I wasn't snooping. But she said, your answering machine is on, and it's really loud. And she said, there were four women that called you while you were gone. And they would like for you to call them back. And then I got the DTR. True story. Hey, women, men out there, if you want to not get played in a relationship, go see Obi-Wan Kenobi Terry Freed. Because I'll never forget, she looked at me and she said, I just don't want to be one in Canton. She said, you know, if you're not ready for that, we can just be friends. How many of you know when, when you're in love, that's the worst thing you can ever hear? Like even in the seventh grade, let's just be friends. <laughs> you know, and I, she threw that on me. 
And I said, no, honey, you know what? I, I'm ready. I want to just be it. I, I, I want to be with you. She said, good, let's call him back. I say, well, can we eat our food and watch our movies? No, let's call him back now. I said, okay, uh, you want to go sit? No, I'll sit here. And she made me call him back. You know, when Cortez discovered the new world in 1519, he took his 600 men off the boats, and to make a point, he burned his ships. My wife burned my ships. All my escape plans were ruined. And she sat there, I kid you not, and said, you know, if they have any problem with it, just put me on the phone. Now, that's funny, but it's true. And guess what? I have never looked back since that day. Because she said, hey, buddy, define the relationship. Do you know that's what Jesus Christ is doing with you? When he calls you to be a disciple, if you would be my follower, would you deny yourself and your preferences and your personalities and your politics and all that stuff? Would you subjugate that for me? Would you take up your cross? Would you willing to be uncomfortable? Because too many of us, you know, Christians, we're almost like wine aficionados. We're always doing taste tests. Oh, if I like this one or like that one or... You know, would you subjugate all that? You know, I'll fit it. Cultural Christianity sucks. It's American Christianity. Cultural Christianity, if you don't know about it, it's kind of like, well, I like Christian values. I like the Christian story. But I need it to fit my interests and my perspectives. And if you have a God like that, you have an imaginary God. Because a God that you can just ring the bell and, and have him appear and serve on you is, is a God of your imagination. Jesus is a God that says, will you subjugate for me? Will you be my disciple? I want to define the relationship with you. Because I'm calling you, but I'm also calling you to follow me. See, to follow someone means what? I move from where I already am. I move out of the place I already am to go to someplace new. To follow the word disciple in the Greek. Some people say it meant student. That's not a good interpretation. It literally means apprentice. In that day and age, because if you're a full-time student, you take what, like 16 credit hours? And you go with teachers, rabbis, but you go for what? Like a class to get some information and go home and study? See, an apprentice is different. An apprentice doesn't go to get information from a teacher. An apprentice goes to live with the teacher and walk with where they walk and learn from what they do and listen. And you know what I've learned in my life? Seriously, since I surrendered my life to God, um, he really doesn't care about my opinions. He just doesn't. I mean, he cares about me. He knows I have opinions. Everybody has them like belly buttons, right? We all have them. But, but he just doesn't care. I mean, he's not abusive. It's just like, you know, like, Chip, I'm God. <laughs> like, I made the world and the universe. And, you know, I'm really not that concerned with your opinion, right? But I have an opinion on how your life ought to go and how my kingdom ought to be built. And I'm really concerned that you're more concerned about that. And are you willing to follow me? Are you willing to come live with me? Are you willing to come allow me to challenge you? Because he wants to take us, calls us to follow him on an amazing adventure. An amazing adventure so many of us are afraid to go. We're afraid to follow, right? One of the, one of the reasons I get afraid to follow, I'm afraid that he'll, he'll tell me something that, that, what do I say? He'll ask me to do something I don't want to do. Of course he will. He's a master rabbi. 
Years ago and pounds ago, I actually played Division I college basketball. Man, that's what paid for my, my schooling. I got a scholarship. And I got news for you. I didn't arrive on campus and ready to compete for, you know, the, my job and everything else and go up to a coach and say, hey, coach, listen, I know I signed my scholarship, but I don't want you to ask me to do anything I don't want to do. And I don't want you to push me too hard. And I'd like you to clear things with me before, you know, you implement. Are you crazy? And you go out there, the coach said, I am going to make you do things you never dreamed that you would do. I'm going to run you till you can't breathe. I'm going to stretch your muscles till you jump higher and do things that you never knew you could do before because that's what a master teacher does. And I had a Marine who was my favorite ever basketball coach, and this guy could run you in the ground, but I knew that guy loved me. I knew he had my best interest for me, and I would run up through a brick wall for him, and that's just an earthly coach who showed some love. We have a universal coach, a master of the universe that showed us ultimate love and said, I'm willing to die for you. I'm willing to do everything to get you to glory. And you're afraid that I'm going to ask you to do something you don't want to do. If I don't ask you to do something that you don't want to do, you keep, you keep doing the same things that you've always done and get the same results. So I'm going to stretch you. I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to show you exceedingly abundantly more. Woo! I hope you felt that south. At least I'm not spitting on you. You're safe over there in the camera. People in the front row here have umbrellas. And... He's going to challenge us. Why? Because he's going to take us on an amazing adventure. That's why I love that story with Nathaniel that they preached on last week, right? In that story, Luke, it said, Nathaniel goes, oh, I don't know if I want to do this. And then he goes to see Jesus. And what did Jesus say? He said, here comes a wonderful person, great with possibilities, a noble person. He goes, how do you know me? What'd you say, Pastor Steve? Saw you under the fig tree. Nathaniel goes, wow. Jesus said, you think that's all? That I saw you under a fig tree? He said, that's a magic trick. But you're going to see greater things than even heaven open. If you follow me, you're going to find things that will blow your mind. You will see angels in ascending and descending. You will see the power of God come straight down in your life. If you can be not just a fan. Fans are fair-weathered. How many know it's tough being a Cleveland sports fan? Right? But we're spoiled, and that's okay, because it's sports. But it's not okay. Jesus said he's not, he's not content with us. He's very hard. If you read the Bible, he's very hard on people that just hang around him for blessings and miracles. He's very hard on them. He wants us to grow up. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he said, when I fed you, I fed you with milk because you weren't ready for solid food. In fact, he said, you're still not ready because you're jealous and you're quarreling all the time. Garfield Memorial Church, South Euclid, online, Pepper Pike, let's start growing up and trying to eat on some solid food. We have been uh, eating breast milk for too long. We've been letting somebody carry us and feed us for too long. It is time for us to get up with Jesus and say, I want to stay where you stay. I want to become an apprentice of who you are. I want you to take me on an amazing adventure and let my heart explode with the potential that's been stored there for so long. Let me, let me close with this. I know sometimes it's fearful to follow to this extent, but it reminds me of something. Some of you here in this, this service and others have gone with my wife and I to the Holy Lands and Pastor Terry, Pastor Lori and Pastor Terry went a few years ago. 
and you've gone with us. And I know if you went, many went with us to the Holy Land. It was like the Middle East. They're a little scared, right? We're like, are you sure? Is this safe? It's a long plane ride. Well, I like the food. And you got all that stuff, but somebody got the courage to go, right? And you spent the money. And, went, and I got to tell you something. People who've been there can tell you. Once you get there and you start walking where Jesus walked and you see the sights and you know that he was there and you go out on the Sea of Galilee and you feel his presence, all of a sudden, man, you're tasting and seeing and sensing and touching that the Lord is good and people just come alive. And I was at the Church of the Holy Sepulcher back in February of 19 with uh, uh, Rick Maynard. He was a member of our Heritage Service. His wife sings in the choir and they went. And Rick's not a man of many words. And Rick was sitting there. The Church of Holy Sepulcher is where Golgotha was, where Jesus was crucified. We don't know exactly where, but we know it was there. And we know in that region his grave was. We don't know where his grave was. Isn't that good news? Because nobody decorated it. Because he wasn't in it very long. That's what proves the gospel to me. I know where Muhammad's grave is. I know where Ulysses S. Grant's grave is. I know where President Lincoln's grave is. But nobody knows where Jesus' grave is because he wasn't in long enough for anybody to commemorate it. But we know it's in the area. And Rick Maynard's sitting there, and I sat down on the bench next to him, and I said, Rick, what do you think? And he said, Chip, he said, you remember that time when your wife walked down the aisle for the first time and you saw her, you saw Terry in her bridal gown and how you felt? I said, wow, yeah, I remember that. He said, you remember when you held your baby for the very first time and you looked into that child's eyes? I said, yeah, I remember it. He said, that's just about the way I felt all week over here. And I thought, if you can feel that way, just walking in the earthly historical places where you'd been, what more of an amazing adventure might you feel if you walk with the risen, living, spirit-filled, speaking Lord Every single day of your life. Garfield, he calls you to follow him on an amazing adventure. What are you waiting for? What will your answer be? That's my question, South Euclid. That's my question, Pepper Pike. That's my question when I look in the mirror for Vision 2020. Amen? Holy Spirit, 